0: Welcome to Be a B2B Leader, your B2B knowledge base. In this podcast we'll show you what you have to learn to be a modern leader in the B2B world. Because true leaders are made, not born. Hello and welcome. I'm Felician, and today my guest is Dr. Jim kanich Rio, the co-founder and co-host of Cascading Leadership Podcast, the co-founder and co-host of Talent Strategy 60 LinkedIn Live Show and Talent Strategy Transformation Evangelist at Circa. Very happy to have you here today.
1: Hey, Felician, Uh, happy to be here. Uh, It's going to be a fun conversation. So thanks for having me on the show. And I'm looking forward to uh, a really uh, interesting conversation.
0: I'm looking forward even more to it. So please tell me, what should every B2B leader know about Talent Strategy Transformation?
1: So that is a really broad question. So I'm going to break it down in a a couple of different uh, areas. So when you're thinking about transformation in general, you know, a transformation of any sort requires three things. There's a people element to it. There's a process element to it. And there's a technology element to it. So when you're looking to execute a transformation of any kind, you need to have you know answers for those three elements you know is there a people issue within my organization and if there is what is my plan to transform the current state of the people within my organization be it from a skills or competencies perspective or even a makeup perspective from a process perspective you need to have a map of how are things currently done and when you map out how things are currently done you need to have a vision for how things should be done like what's the vision for success what's broken that needs to be fixed fixed and then you need to map out you know from a process perspective how do we get from where we are to where we want to be based and informed on the vision that we've established from a process perspective and then the last piece of any transformation is a technology component so when we look at the people aspect and the process aspect you know is there a technology component that we need to apply when we're looking at how do we execute these transformations across those three criteria Uh, and the technology aspect of the transformation initiative could be independent of the people in process as well it could be hey we have the right people our process is mapped out we've made progress on both of those fronts but the technology is the piece that actually accelerates our progression from where Mm -hmm. we are to where we want to be so when you ask the question, what should every B2B leader know about a talent strategy transformation? Um, if they're not accounting for all three of those aspects from a talent perspective or any other perspective, your transformation effort going to fail. And this is before you start thinking about you know, the organizational structure and, and buy in at the different stakeholder levels and all of that sort of stuff, you have to have that lined up. So it's a very complex process. But I think at the baseline level, if anybody is trying to execute a talent transformation, or a transformation in general, you need to account for those three things, people process technology, how am I accounting for the current state and desired future state when I map out that transformation?
0: I will jump in here because do you think that, mo- yeah, that a lot of companies make this mistake that they first focus on technology instead of the people and that's why they absolutely.
1: fail? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting. That, that's a great question, Felician. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. So I've been in sales um, in some way, shape or form for a really long time and um, both as a people leader, a player coach and as an individual contributor. And I remember earlier in my career and my, my, my bosses used to get irritated with me. um, I'd be talking with a customer and I would be diagnosing, you know, their current state, what's going on. And, you know, I'm, I'm like really digging to find out what is the existing problem. What's the core problem that's, that's causing the issue. And a big red flag for me, and it's and it's still a big red flag for me, is if you can't define your current process, if you can't define your desired future state, if you can't des- define the gaps in your people strategy as it is right now, um, that's a those are big red flags. And more often than not, you know, organizations uh, that that tend to be immature in a transformation effort will look at technology as a solution for everything and if you don't have the right people don't have the right process having to find out what that looks like and you throw technology into it you're you're gonna have a lot of sunk costs and churn because it's not the technology's problem that is causing the breakage there's other stuff that exists so i i think uh you're absolutely right when you ask that question do a lot of people or organizations make the mistake of thinking technology first as a solution. And I would argue from, you know, my perspective, technology should be a piece of the puzzle and at most an equal piece. Um, and realistically you should look at, uh, technology as an additive solution. You know, we've sorted our people strategy. We've sorted our, our process strategy and technology is the accelerator that gets us from, where we are currently to the next level instead of just technology is the single source of truth that's going to move us from here to there Mm -hmm. um i would often go i I would even go as far as saying you know if, if there's any you know sort of professional that is saying that and i don't think this happens but if somebody says hey you know put this platform in and you're gonna you know go from where you are to where you want to be overnight, or some version of that, like we're the solution to all the problems. That's a big red flag too, yeah. because it's th- that that's that's overstating the importance of what technology can do within an organization.
0: Yeah, like that's the thing that if you have problems with the people and you have processes that just don't work, and you employ technology, it will just make those problems bigger, and it will yeah accelerate going into the wrong direction. So you know, start with the people first. Yeah,
1: and, and I don't want and, to necessarily frame this in terms of, you know, hey, your people are broken or your process is necessarily broken. Yeah. There's inefficiencies or there are gaps that need to be shored up. And that can be accomplished through, you know, any number of ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like take the people that are in the seats now and go find other people. So maybe there's a, there's a knowledge gap or a learning gap you know, it's a, it, and I'm careful to mention that and say that out loud because one of the gaps that I see across organizations in terms of their overall people strategy is the focus tends to be really heavily on, can we get new people into the organization? We have roles, we need hire people, we need to bring them in um, because we have this gap, you know, throughout the enterprise. And what happens with that sort of thinking is that, you know, an equal amount of effort. And I would say, a greater amount of effort needs to be focused on how are you progressing the people that you have? Because it's cheaper to keep the people that you have than it is to bring new people in. Because if you're bringing new people in and you don't have a defined strategy to develop the ones that you have or keep the ones that you have, you're burning, you're, you're you're like throwing cash out the window. You're, you're setting it on fire. You know, organizations, when they're, when they're thinking about their talent strategy, they need to be very disciplined in answering sort of all areas of their talent strategy, but especially on the upskill, reskill, and retention side of it. Because if you're not giving your people a career path or an opportunity to kind of reskill and upskill themselves, they're going to go somewhere else to look for that. And that's going to that's gonna have a pretty hard financial impact on your organization.
0: What do you think, what's the biggest challenge when it comes to hiring people in general? Because Right now, even with the recession that is yeah, is here or is not, we can see even more people getting laid off.
1: So hiring is complex, they're, they're just like anything else. Uh, when you have a lot of different variables in play and you're trying to solve the challenge, you have to account for you know, a number of different um, factors. So when you're looking at what's the biggest challenge when it comes to hiring people, if I'm looking at it from the organizational side, so I'm a company that wants to hire people, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see, I think there's a lot of um, erroneous beliefs that exist within modern hiring that needs to shift. And here's what I mean. So from the employer side, you have a position that's open. And whether we... Believe it to be necessary or not, those positions typically have a requirement for a college degree. That's just one example. The description in terms of what's required is pages long. Um, The description in terms of how it's written has a lot of exclusionary language that is frankly intimidating to, you know, a lot of different communities that uh, are out there. So when you're looking at why is it difficult to hire people, part of the blame sits with employers because they've over-engineered what they want out of a role. And that's that's not the employer's fault because if you think about it, you think about the world of work and you think about a typical enterprise, you have a lot of people that are senior in their career, they came in for one sort of role And over the years there, they they built out and expanded their skills and value to the organization. So while they were hired for one role as their career progresses, they're probably doing four or five. So when that person leaves, you create a job description that's designed to like backfill the person that left and your salary structure doesn't align with the job that is being asked. So that creates sort of this uh, this headwind or this roadblock in getting people to apply. So there are there are things at that level, you know. If you're looking at, you know, any other function language like rock star, or superstar, or stuff like that within your um, within your position description, that turns a lot of people off. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of studies that are out there that, you know, when you're looking at underrepresented communities and women, when they're considering applying for a job, if they're not If they don't feel that they're 70 to 80% a fit for the position description, they don't apply. From the employer side, there's a lot of like simple but structural biases that are based in that makes it difficult to hire. And then from the employer side, you also have to look at okay, what are the demographics of the audience that you're trying to hire? Like, what does the employee landscape look like? The vast majority of the uh, employee landscape is made up of millennials and Generation Z. That accounts for, uh, I think, 75% of the workforce at this point. What, and and no generation is a monolith, but in general, you'd look at those two cohorts. What do they care about? Well, they care about working at, diverse organizations, they work, uh, they, they, they care about working at organizations that not only are profit driven, but also are impact driven are making and, and are making impact in uh, the communities that they serve, in terms of making life better. Um, you know, those communities also care about the makeup of the organization, not only is it diverse at the uh, at the line level, but as you go further up in the organization, do they have people that look like me that are in leadership positions? Because that's a signal to me on what my career path can potentially look like. So if organizations aren't intentionally mirroring what's important to the candidate marketplace, they're gonna have a hard time hiring. Um, you look at other things like flexibility, remote work, um, you know, work-life balance. Uh, All of these sort of things that factor in, you have to be as an employer, if you want to make it easier on yourself to hire people, you have to speak the language that resonates with the audience that you're trying to hire. And, you know, we've had, you know, if if you look at the broader social conditioning, the world of work for the most part, you know, still has a lot of that, you know, boomer mindset. You know, employees are supposed to be loyal to the organization. You're supposed to like be first in and last out and and all this sort of stuff. And frankly, like we've had in my lifetime, we've had three huge economic downturns. So, you know, I I, I have to I have to give a lot of props to millennials who have ushered in this era of uh, of everybody's a free agent thinking because it's true. Like loyalty from the employee to the employer doesn't really get you anything because as soon as stuff starts going sideways from an economic perspective, what happens? None of that loyalty really matters. You're still part of that layoff crew. So when you're asking the question, what makes it difficult to hire people? What makes it challenging to find enough people? um, There's a lot of structural inefficiencies that exist, and erroneous beliefs that exist in how these positions are broadcasted. And you're really not standing out as an employer, uh, from anybody else. If you're using sort of these boilerplate, you know, this is how we've always done it, uh, approaches to attract candidates.
0: If someone comes to you with yeah, saying that this is how we've always done it. This means that yeah, this is not the place where I want to work because you are not changing. I was born in 1997 and since the start of my career, I've been working only in IT. And I've been yeah, doing employer uh, employer branding to developers, to uh, highly specialized IT specialists. And it's really difficult to convince those people to come to your company. Because most of them switch jobs every six months. But when they yeah, find a company that's supportive, that takes care of the employees, promotes well-being, supports their families, like, it's not about crossing that line, but it's just about being there when they need them. So, for example, someone, yeah, someone has a child, and the employer approaches them and says, take a month off, take care of your family, and then come back. And those people stay with those companies for years, because they feel that, first of all, they can be themselves, second thing, they can develop their careers, and third thing they will always get support from other people in the company so i think more companies yep. should look at it that way and do their best to yeah step in that direction
1: yeah and, and that's a that's a great point that you make uh felicia and i think uh, i think the whole um, idea about creating an integrated work life culture that's going to be critical when you look at the future of the world of work it's not work-life balance. It's work-life integration is what a lot of employees care about. It's like, I have all of these different responsibilities. How can I get it all done and still keep my wits about myself and, uh, and be there for the, for the important stuff? You know, it's, in, it's, it's interesting that you reference that when, uh, when you're talking about, you know, companies that struggle with attracting talent in general. Um, I think if you operate with the idea of you know, work-life integration, um, that's just one small piece. I think you're going to get a lot more candidates that, uh, that are interested in potentially applying for your positions, and you're going to also get um, a lot more staying power out of the employees that you have.
0: So when it comes to work-life integration, I like the idea, but I have one concern with it. Like mm-hmm. doesn't work-life integration promote long hours of work of yeah, just blending that family life too much with work time?
1: Um well it could, but uh you know, I, I I don't know if um so the perfect example that I'll give you is prior to the pandemic, everybody was working in the office. And then the pandemic hit, or at least in the US, the pandemic hit and everybody had to lift and shift into 100% remote work and integrate all the different responsibilities that they had. And the employment data, at least from the US perspective, demonstrated that the level of productivity was either at or above um, where office life was prior to the pandemic. So, you know, I don't know if that's because of remote work. Or just something that happened, but I, I I think what what employers employers saw was that they didn't lose really anything during the pandemic from a productivity perspective. Productivity actually went up. So if you're talking about work life integration and you're talking about business results and productivity and and you know generally. Um, better mindsets for your employees. I think the integration piece is the way to go. And a lot of times um, employees will naturally work more because they don't have the distractions or the commute or stuff like that that they have to deal with when uh, when you're dealing with like a traditional office setting. Um, so I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Like what what I typically tell my team is you have 24 hours in a day. So you should look at, you know, eight hours of work and then, you know, the balance is whatever else that you want to do. Or if you want to make it easier, you can do 12 and 12, you know, 12 hours of your day dedicated to like work and work adjacent stuff. And then 12 hours of your day dedicated to your own recreational pursuits. Mm-hmm. But when I make that suggestion, I say part of your waking hours should be dedicated to establishing your brand as an individual and being intentional about those things and create and really operating as if you're, you know, sort of a CEO of your own business. And part of that means you have to like kind of build out different revenue streams for yourself um, just so you're covered if there is a big disruption or something like that. And then you have to shift jobs or something like that. You have multiple ways that you can create revenue streams for yourself. So that's an important aspect of it too uh, when it comes to integrating your work and life and, and and diversifying sort of your offering in the marketplace.
0: I love this approach. And uh, I think that more people in leadership positions should follow it and encourage people to yeah, build their brands, yeah, be the CEO of your own company, so to say. Because Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the important
1: thing so i'm all about like when i think about these things and my my research background so i'm not only you know somebody that actually builds teams and does all this stuff but i have a research background in in uh, retention and turnover that's actually what my doctoral research is in so a lot of my wiring and my lens that i look at the world is what what can we do better as leaders and as organizations to get our people more committed to our organizations and openly talking about advancing the interests that the person at the desk has for themselves. Like, what's your vision for yourself? How can we empower and enable you to achieve that vision while you're here in service of our mission and vision? That's a conversation that everybody should be having out in the open. Um, so I think organizations that, and this is one of the things that I really appreciate about, um, where I'm at at Circa is, you know, we, we had a recent like quarterly meeting and we were just recapping stuff. And one of the members of the team, you know, asked the question like, you know, Hey, when, when we're, you know, posting on LinkedIn, do we have to post stuff that is Circa related? And you know, the, the, the C-level executive, who is two levels above me, said, no, you don't have to post, you know, only circus-specific content. It'd be nice if you did, if you saw something that was interesting. But if you believe in the mission that we're on, um, I mean, part of the reason you're here is because you believe it. Um, you know, do what you can to amplify the mission um, in your own words and the things that interest you. And that that actually amplifies our mission in what we're trying to do as an organization. And that's the right mindset. Like if organizations are more intentional about empowering, and Steve Watt of Seismic talks about this all all the time. If organizations are intentional about empowering and encouraging their employees to use their voices um, across whatever platforms they happen to be on, the net benefit to the organization is massive because most organizations don't look at social platforms and employees leveraging social platforms in indirect ways as a productive use of time. So I'm very intentional about that. And you know, my organization is, it tends to be uh, a little bit more progressive in that front. So I think that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind too. The conversation about individual brand, individual vision, running your desk as if you're the CEO of your own business. These are conversations that leaders should, in my belief, leaders should be having all the time with their people, because those are the things that are going to get better organizational commitment from the people that report into you.
0: I Fully agree with you. Like, I just had this in mind that imagine there is a bank that has 10,000 employees. And let's say even 1% of them starts posting regularly on LinkedIn about their expertise the leverage that it creates for other people in banking, like they see that if they join that company, they can be themselves, they can build their brands and yeah, maybe even make a living out of it because a strong personal brand then translates directly into your salary. I don't think those other companies will implement it in the near future, at least.
1: I mean, I, I, I think a lot of organizations just don't get it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to be... I mean, I mean, think about it. You and I run in very similar circles. Um, you know, we're, we're in a number of different communities. We're in the full funnel community. And I think uh, we interact with each other on LinkedIn. Um, I think we're also in the sales cast community as well. So there there are a number of different ways that we interact or intersect. And by and large, when you look at, you know, there's there's like millions of companies on LinkedIn. How many companies can you think of that are actively, you know, encouraging people within their organizations to post anything other than just, you know, share this job announcement or, or something mundane? And that, that stuff happens very rarely. Like, you know, people like you and I are, uh, are, are kind of oddballs. So the more that companies can encourage their people to post authentically about stuff that matters to them. Um, that's how you create an attraction model for, you know, you, you mentioned it. This, this is how you create an attraction model for your organization. Oh, wow. Look at so-and-so who's posting all this cool stuff. And oh, by the way, they, they work at XYZ company. Wow. I see a lot of people from XYZ company posting all sorts of things, this sorts of things. That's the kind of place I want to work at. So when you, when you look at solving for hiring, like earlier, you mentioned hey, why is it so difficult to hire? Part of the reason is that organizations aren't really encouraging uh, the organic evangelism that exists as potential within their organizations um, by encouraging their people to like post on the things that they care about.
0: We could, yeah. we are in this marketing bubble, so to say, where we see how different companies can develop this. Like, let's take Refine Labs for example. Everybody sees them, and their strength is just getting bigger and bigger and their influence, but yeah, not everybody sees it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think that hints at, uh, you know, I, I mean, you say that we're in a marketing bubble. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sales guy. I just pretend to do marketing out in the, uh, out in the real world. So I'm not a marketer, but the interesting thing about what refined labs does and what a lot of the more progressive organizations do is they're building in the open. They're building um, what they care about. They're building their expertise. They're building their credibility. They're doing all of these things at scale and they're doing it out in the open. And the results speak for themselves. I mean, if you look at um, the broader data that's out there and you compare sales run organizations versus marketing led organizations. Marketing-led organizations tend to outperform sales-led organizations um, from a top-line and bottom-line revenue perspective. So what does that tell you? Um, it tells you that the premium in terms of how you can build your brand as a company is on you know, freely sharing your expertise and building that credibility and trust and relationship at scale. And doing it out in the open, versus, you know, if you look, I mean, you and I have seen it. Um, we've we've been reached out by, to by all sorts of different people, and generally speaking, we'll get a connection request, and like you, you can kind of identify where the sales re- uh, led organizations are because most typical sales led organizations, you'll connect with somebody at their organization, and then right after you connect, you get this automated four paragraph message about what we can do for you and you know that usually results in in me sending a blank expression emoji back to them and saying yeah great (laughs) moving on
0: you get that message that yeah ends up with are you interested no i'm not (laughs) see ya
1: nope nope yeah so i mean i think uh I, i i think the interesting thing about this part of the conversation is that you know, what Refined Labs does really well, what a lot of the uh, organizations in our communities that we we interact with. The focus is on how do you approach your entire funnel? You know, there's 3% of your market that's looking to buy your product or service right now. So do you operate in a way that you're, you know, irritating the 97% of the market that isn't or do you operate in a way where you're working on building relationships with the hundred percent of your marketplace because they're going to buy your service at some point so isn't it better that you build relationships now so they know who you are than irritating 97 percent in the pursuit of the three percent that might be looking right now i mean i don't know the That, that seems like a simple question, but there's so many, so many companies that get that wrong.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that here that, yeah, encouraging employees to build their own brands can have a huge impact. Like if there are people, there are people in your organization that want to share knowledge that want to build that net of influence, then make use of it. Like they will attract clients to your company anyway. Because they will show that you are experts and you have engaged, yeah, an engaged workforce, and not everybody has it.
1: The um, the one thing that I'll add on add to that is that, you know, encouraging your employees to share thought leadership isn't even, you know, a requirement. I- encouraging your employees to build in the open on what they're learning, what they're experiencing, you know, things that happen to them, interactions that they've had. That all creates an attraction model because remember, you're not you're not only trying to attract customers. You're you're actually trying to attract. When we look at hiring, you're trying to attract people to join your company too. So if you're working in an organization where everybody or a lot of people are encouraged, and the ones that choose to do it, the amplification of one person posting their experiences, something happened to them. Um, you know, they were asked a question. They were asked to answer a question. Uh, they had a question, they ex- had a customer experience and they're navigating how to solve it effectively. That creates ripples all around them that, that impacts a lot of different areas, not just your customer marketplace. I mean, you can grow into what you want to say to your customers, but if you're talking about hiring, like that's gotta be part of your strategy. How are you beyond, uh, we have a ping pong table, Oh, we have, you know, happy hours beyond all of this, you know, like fluffy stuff that nobody really cares about. You know, when we look at how do you make your employees feel like they have a voice? How do you make your employees feel like they belong? How do you make your employees feel like they're making an impact? It's those things that actually attract other people to join your organization. And, and a great way to do it is encourage your people to be evangelists for themselves first. And then if they choose to, evangelize for your for your company based on what you're doing internally. You want to solve hiring? Do that. I mean, because that's going to get you a lot more eyes than freaking happy hours every Friday. <laughs> yeah.
0: like <laughs> People want to work with other like-minded people that's the truth and yeah. it's always been like that if you don't recognize it then you have a problem yeah jim it was awesome like i believe that we could talk on for a few more hours <laughs> on those topics. i mean i could
1: talk about a lot of stuff for a lot of time <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so please tell me who should i interview next who's a b2b leader
1: Um, I mean, I think, I I think since we're on the topic of brand building and building trust and relationships at scale, um, and credibility at scale, you definitely should talk to Ashley Foss of Atlassian, uh, and I can facilitate an intro there and you definitely should talk to Steve Watt, um, probably talk to Stu Hynek. Andy Paul, I got a list of people that you can talk to, but those like, if you're talking about integrating um, brand, messaging, building um, rapport, trust, and credibility at scale, um, building your own brand, all of those people represent um, really strong voices on that front that you should uh, should reach out to. And if uh, if you need help with intros, um, let me know, and I'll, you know, do an intro and and you get you can you can chase them down
0: that's awesome like i will definitely reach out to them and please tell the listeners where can they find you and what do you do so how can you help them so
1: um you can find me um and my co-host lawrence brown you know basically everywhere linkedin is our primary channel so i'm very active on linkedin you can follow us on the Cascading Leadership page. We just launched another show, which is the Talent Strategy 60 um, LinkedIn Live show. That show drops every Friday at 1230 Central Standard Time. Uh, the podcast episodes, which are the Cascading Leadership uh, episodes, those typically drop on Fridays and Tuesdays uh, in the morning. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook, all under the Cascading Leadership handle. Um, And then you can obviously reach out to me at Circa. So Circa is, uh, we're a SaaS uh, technology platform. Um, We are one of the only platforms that exists out in the marketplace that is a diversity, equity, and inclusion first talent strategy platform. So if you're looking at building uh, or leveraging technology to build a more diverse, equitable, inclusive organization, that's what Circa does. And uh, it plays right into the wheelhouse of things that I care about. Um, and we look at it from the perspective of if you really want to transform your organization, the way to execute those transformations is to bring different mindsets in into your organization. Different mindsets, different ma- backgrounds, different points of views, those all accelerate your ability to innovate uh, and iterate to where you want to be. So, And that all flows down into talent. So you can't do that without being able to find all of these different uh, uh, different uh, uh, folks from different backgrounds to come into your organization. And if you're looking to solve that, um, that's what we help organizations do. We help you find diverse talent. We help you keep your employees engaged and we ke- help you retain those employees through that effort.
0: That's great. If you're a B2B leader and are listening to it, make sure to contact Jim because, uh, yeah, it can put your company on the right tra- trajectory for the future.
1: Absolutely. So, so
0: thank you for today and see you. Yeah, it was,
1: a, it was a lot of fun, Felician. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host, Felician, and I would love to hear from you and learn what I can improve. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. And see you next time.